Agent Power Huddle is a daily jumpstart, giving you all the tools you need to create an amazing real estate career. Led by top experts in the field, you'll learn how to sell more houses in less time while creating the life you want. Welcome to the Agent Power Huddle. Should I get into REO? In 2022, Jim, I'm going to let you introduce our guest, but can I just put on the screen? Because this picture is incredible, Dale. While we are introducing you, hold on. I got to share this one. Look at that, dude. (laughs) It's like straight out of GQ. That is is like the the capital P-I-M-P. Dude, that is, I can't spell that word, but I, I like what you're saying. Dude, this is, all right, so I'm, I got Jim Godwin, who's from Kansas City. Both of us met long ago in the REO days. Um, Jim's the co-host, but our main guest, Jim, you want to introduce our guest today? Absolutely. Dale Kessler, the legend, uh, REO legend from Allentown, PA, northern, northeastern PA, um, godfather of REO. How many, how many REO sales have you completed? Uh, just north about 2,400. 2,400 in how many years? Uh, just over 12. That is insane. <laughs> that is insane, dude. <laughs> 2,400, wow. It's definitely a, uh, it's definitely a lot of deals. So well, we, would, we would probably classify you as an expert at this point, right? Yeah, I would have to say uh, I can do this in my sleep. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, I'm very proud of that as, as well. It's, it's something I absolutely love and adore. So um, what, what drew you to REO in the first place? Because, I mean, you got into real estate and did you know anything about REO when you got in? And, and, and like, why did you and how did you get into REO in the beginning? I'd have to say, honestly, back in early 2000s when I got into real estate, my primary driver was Carlton Sheets. So we all remember Carlton Sheets. He's like this investor guru who had these tapes uh, and books teaching you how to invest and buy properties and those kind of things. So uh, I had an accounting background, but I got my real estate license and figured, hey, you know what? I want to learn about this investor side of the business and what better way to learn than to work with investors and learn from them as I make money. So that's kind of what started me on the journey with investors. And then I found out about REOs. These foreclosures were like the best deals for people to buy as investors. So when that started to get on my mind, I was like, well, how, how do you get these REO properties? And that's what took me on my journey down the path of, of getting into REO. So there was one, one or two key players in my market. And I was like, you know, I have an understanding of finances because I've been a accounting background. I have an understanding of construction because I've made some construction stuff in the past. I could probably do this. So I just started trying to, to get into the, uh, to get into the business and eventually I was able to break in. Uh, so part of the way that I was able to break in is I started doing broker price opinions. Um, you know, and it's a very tedious task. Most people don't want to take on, uh, at the time I was at Keller Williams and they had said, uh, one of the, one of the, the main owners there had said, look, we do some of these things and supposedly you could get some REO listings from it eventually. We never have, but if you want to do it, you could use my account and I'll help you out with it and see where it goes. So thankfully she was uh, willing to, to give me a little bit of help there. And as I started doing those BPOs, now I was probably two years into the business, did a little bit of retail, just didn't know where I fit. 
And I was really looking for that niche for me to, to, to kind of take off in. Mm-hmm. And when I did a cost analysis, cost benefit analysis on this segment of the business, it made sense to me. So, you know, in an up market, there's still business because there's people doing divorces. There's people making mistakes. These foreclosure things happen. Uh, but in a down market, there's even more of it. So, let, you know, let's let's go after this. And that's kind of what what took me into that world. And eventually, by doing the valuations, the BPOs for the banks, I met an agent down towards Philadelphia that did a lot of that business. Uh, and eventually, in a 10-minute conversation, he gave me more information than I could find in the last year doing what I was doing. We became a little closer. Eventually, he became uh, my broker, taught me the ropes, and, and kind of got me in on my first account. And then uh, now I I bought the brokerage from him, and I still uh, he's still the broker of record, and and probably one of my closest friends to this day. And I'm very thankful for him to uh, for helping me out and teaching me the ropes. Yeah, that's really cool, man. You, and you touched on something, in my opinion, very important, which is um, doing BPOs. And I think, especially for a newer agent, um, this is a great activity. Uh, it, it's it's a time consuming activity, but I think an important and a necessary activity to do. You get paid a little bit of money. It's not great. But in doing BPOs, especially as a newer agent, you get to know different markets very specifically and can have your finger on the pulse of markets in every different neighborhood that you're doing uh, continuous BPOs in. So um, I think even if you're not doing REO, doing BPOs is a, a great activity, especially for somebody that's, that's new. And, and I couldn't agree more. To be perfectly honest, the BPOs, there were years that I did so many BPOs. I put 45,000 miles on my car. I made like 70, 80 grand at 50 bucks a pop. But what people don't understand who are unwilling to do that work, that hard work taught me how to value properties like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. I understood multiple markets. I was able to do great values on properties by doing them over and over again. It's just like doing a CMA for your listings. But if you've only listed 10 properties in your career and you've only done 10 CMAs, your skill set involved in valuing properties, which carries over into retail as well, it's not there. So once I got the REO listings, I was very good at valuing and my numbers were really tight, which helped on the REO side. There's some stuff we'll probably get into regarding scorecards and those kind of things with performance. It helped keep my scorecard high because I had very good numbers in terms of list price to sale price ratios. Yeah. And if you have any interest, and I think um, uh, you should, if you're in this business, in working with investors, doing BPOs and knowing that strategy and knowing how to price properties is invaluable when bringing on new investor clients. 100%. And and keeping, keeping with that, the even if you don't get into REO as a listing agent, if you're doing these values, a lot of times you're having to reach out to the listing agent on the property before they list the house. Now you have insight into a potential up and coming deal for not only your investor clients, but your retail clients. Mm-hmm. Making and having a good relationship with those agents who are the listing agents on those properties is also invaluable because then you can potentially find out Hey, is your client willing to, are they willing to sell this as is, or are they planning on rehabbing this before they list it? Oh, they're going to rehab it. Cool. Now I know I should focus on my 
and buyers who are looking to live in those properties and try to find people in those markets who are looking and, and use that as some leverage. Hey, I've got some insight into these properties. People always want, for me, they're always like, can you put me on your list? Can you put me on your foreclosure list? I know you have a bunch of these properties that no one even knows about yet. That's what people are looking for. The term foreclosure, when people see that, they immediately think good deal. Now, I'm on this podcast for a reason to drop truth. A lot of people aren't real honest about how things are. They're a little bit, uh, don't tell the complete truth type of thing because they don't want you to step on their toes. I'm all about the competition. So if you're better than me, I want you in my market. I, I want you to, to, to be my competition because I enjoy that. But the foreclosures, people see the word foreclosure as a good deal. And it doesn't necessarily mean that in today's market. 15 years ago, maybe. But in today's market, a lot of these foreclosures are getting rehabbed before they even go on the market. And the banks at the end of the day want to maximize their profits on those deals. So they're going to try to get top dollar. So it doesn't necessarily, the term foreclosure doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a good deal. Yeah, I think that's a really good point um, because you're right. People just assume that it's a, you know, you're, you're getting a good deal and it's not necessarily the case. A lot of times they get sold at retail or above retail, especially in this market. Um, so yeah, um, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. Um, what do you, so we're going to try to stay on a 30,000 foot view because we could go into the weeds with this and talk for hours about it. And we just kind of want to give people an overview of what it means to be an REO agent and if it makes sense for them to get in it. So um, on, on a surface level, what do you think um, it being a good REO agent means? Um, and what are some characteristics that you think has made you successful being an REO agent in the past 12 years? So, when you're when you're putting on the the hat of an REO agent versus a, a retail agent, uh, your client on the retail side typically is uh, is an emotional buyer or seller. So you're really having to cater to that emotional side of things. From a foreclosure standpoint, your clients that you're listing these properties for, they're institutions. This is not emotional. It's all about the numbers. So you have to keep that in mind when you're doing this business that it's not necessarily an emotional situation. That said, when you have a listed property, you're dealing with buyers and buyer agents, you have to be able to juggle the balancing act of these people are emotional and this side is not. So I need to know who my audience is. So paying attention to that is, is very critical. Uh, a willingness to just do a lot of work because <laughs> listing REO properties is 15 times harder than it is to list a traditional deal. And now most traditional agents will say, breaking into that REO thing, man, that's too hard. I, it, it just see, It's very, very closed-lipped thing. I, I just can't seem to get it. And because they're comfortable over here in the, in the traditional world, that's where they tend to stay and hang out. I actually have the opposite. I've gotten so deep into the REO, transitioning doing, into doing more traditional business, that intimidates me. Mm -hmm. So it, it, the grass isn't greener. 
And one's not necessarily harder than the other. It's just got to fit your personality type. So some people love to work buyers. You're going to have agents on the traditional side that they just love buyers. They love the interaction. They really don't want to list a lot of properties. And then you'll have those listing agents who don't do not want to cart anybody around. They don't want to go out to properties. Uh, same thing with REO. You've just you've got to have, um, I think, uh, a certain mindset that you're more of a loner. You know, doing this REO stuff, it's not a lot of face-to-face meetings with your clients by no means because they're in different states. Um, you have to do a lot of this business on your own. You're going out to these properties and doing what they call initial occupancy checks. So there's, so the next thing that I would say you need to understand is you need to have and implement good systems. You have to strategically go through these things step by step by step and be able to adhere to a timeline because there are very strict timelines that you have to do things in order to do well in REO and continue to get assets from different clients. Can you um, give a few examples of what you think um, makes it more difficult or harder or more labor intensive than a retail sale? Uh, So what I would equate this to is a property manager. Mm -hmm. So if you're listing houses, just listing and selling houses, you don't have to worry about Uh, Is there any repairs on the property? I mean, you have that conversation if you want to have some repairs done before you list the house with the seller. But as the REO agent, you're the client's eyes and ears. They have never seen this property before. You have to get down, you know, instead of doing 50 pictures of a property, you're doing like 250. And then once you get the pictures, you got to resize them. You've got to put them into a system, send them off to the client, have them review it. Sometimes you even have to put them into a PDF sheet, all very time intensive things. Then you're, you're, you got 24 hours from the time that asset gets assigned to you to do what's called an occupancy check, knock it on that door. Now, all of a sudden, you don't know who's in there. You don't know if anybody's in there. So you've got to put that hat on and you know, you've got to be safe, but you also have to be able to try to get that information from people. This is why I love the business because I have an opportunity to wear so many hats throughout the day, mm-hmm. I don't get bored. Yeah. I just don't get bored. And yeah. you know, we do basically what we call cradle to grave. So we handle the property from the time it's, it comes back from the share sale and the asset, the, the client assigns us the asset all the way to a final billing. So other labor intensive things here are, I am many times responsible to put utilities on in my name, to check for any repairs. If there's any health and safety issues, uh, hire contractors locally. I'm required many times to get the property trashed out, to get the bank bids for any of the debris and those things left behind. Take care of yard maintenance on a bi-weekly basis. If it snows, got to handle the snow. Then I also have to handle the billing of those things and send those bills over to the client so they'll reimburse me. And if I don't do it within their timeframe, which could be 15 to 30 days, they won't pay me back. There have been years where I have lost very close to six figures because I didn't manage that properly. Any good REO agent that I know has got punched in the face with that at least once, learned their lesson, and hired the right person and said, it's smarter for me to hire this person at $40,000 a year than for me to lose $75,000 because I just didn't get to it. 
Do you know what's funny, Dale? I just got to jump in for a sec. I'm watching everyone's face on there. By the way, those of you on camera, thank you for having your camera on. I love that we can feel like we're a real crew. If you're like multitasking, turn your camera on, hang out with us. Okay. When you just said that about getting punched in the face, all of us who have a background in REO, because a lot of us came either from retail, then REO, then back to retail, or just straight up REO and now into retail. All of us were laughing when you said that. You could see the REO people because we're like, yep. <laughs> it, was just, it was really funny. Anyway, uh, can, I, can I just go backwards to one one thing quickly? I want to make sure we, we uh, answer in the chat box. Barbie was asking, how do we find opportunities to do BPOs? And then Theodos made a comment because Theodos is our Mindset Monday guy. He's, he's here with us. He said, I made $98,000 doing BPOs at 55 bucks a pop back in 2007. That's hustle. That's, that's what's up. <laughs> right? So, so if, if it's 2022, the world has changed. It's not 2007. Would you still do BPOs deal? And where would you start? 100%. More now than ever. Because right now, now we're talking pandemic. Pandemic, which is something we may get, you know, we're probably going to get into here because you're probably getting onto this a lot of, uh, on a lot of your calls. But pandemic shut down foreclosures. Stop foreclosures, they're not allowed. Stop evictions on properties, not allowed anywhere. So that has caused there to be really no business right now as far as REO goes. I historically will bring in anywhere from 10, 15 new assets on a monthly basis. There's been times that's a lot heavier. There's been times that that's not so heavy. But let's just call it on average 10 new properties, You know, because that's my main business. That's what I would bring in on average a month. I'm lucky if I see one a month now, two a month. There was a slight increase when they released the eviction moratorium uh, in, in my state. And everybody's state's a little different. They have federal and all those different things. But I saw a slight uptick around October, and then it just disappeared again. So right now, what's happening is the banks couldn't really do much with these properties. However, they're not getting paid, and they need to know what's going on with this property. Great time to get someone local to go out and check it and give us a valuation. They're really churning and burning these, these BPOs right now. I know quite a few agents who are doing them and they're, they're, you know, they're getting a lot of business. So right now, great time to do it because there's so little REO, it'll start helping you build the foundation for the skill set of valuing properties. Yeah. Where do you find them? Uh, so if you would just, you know, there's this thing, it's called Google. You can go <laughs> on Google and you type in BPO companies. Who, how, who can I do BPOs for? You might want to type in broker price opinion. Uh, certain companies will start popping up. I don't necessarily want to promote any one company here, right, right. Uh, but it'll you're saying it's not hard to find. Will you do me one thing, by the way, for Brent, who's watching this and Lisa, make a note. I'm really a big fan of Sesame Street these days when it comes to like educating people. Will you point at the screen for Google and go G-O-O-G-L-E? And we'll, we'll put the letters up on the screen later in post-production. Can you do that for me, Dale? Just go G-O. I think it'd be funny. G. O-O-G-L-E. Google. <laughs> A little higher the fingers, ready? Right? Uh, up like this. G-O-O-G-L-E. There we go. Google. Thank you. All right, perfect. And in case you guys were, were wondering what that was, now you've heard him spell it twice, and so now we got it. All right, go ahead, Jim, back to you. Well, I was going to screw it up, actually, but I, I, I didn't really get it. I didn't get an A in, uh, in spelling. Counting, I did a little better. <laughs> two, two things I want to mention with BPOs. One is... Um, Make sure that you look at the reviews of the company before you start doing business with them. There are certain BPO companies out there that are notorious for not paying you for doing BPOs. And once you start looking at those companies, 
um, you will see reviews of them, uh, a lot of reviews of them saying that the agents were never paid for work that they've done. So there well, are, there and are, listen, are I, would, I wouldn't mind adding to that 100% because there were, there were things that I never got paid for at some point. Um, one, make sure you're managing those things. Yeah. Two, when I started doing these, let's just say they would pay, they have drive-by valuations, they have interior. So there's all these different ones that you can do. Typically for the drive-bys, you get 50, 60 bucks. And then for interiors, it was 7,500, 125, sometimes negotiable, depending on how many people are doing it and, and how far away it is and those types of things. But you would think, given the price of gas now versus early 2000s and all those kind of things, that, that would have gone up. That is not the case. I am finding they're trying to get you to do you know, BPOs for drive-bys that you still have to go out to for 30 bucks. Now, don't get me wrong, like you can still make a couple dollars on it. However, you need to also look at it from a perspective of I'm not doing this just to make money. I'm doing it for experience. The experience is the key. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can't emphasize enough doing the BPOs is such a critical piece. And yes, I made money along the way doing it. It was enough to to kind of pay my bills, which I didn't have a lot of at that time. So it was a, it was a great way for me to stay focused on the business. And it, it was kind of like working a part-time job, but still within the industry so that I, I could learn more. A lot of people who are part-time are like, well, I can't, you know, they're working at a supermarket or something. You could do these BPOs. You could do something like that. Now you're still in the industry you're getting a better skill set on valuing properties and you're making some money to, to help pull you through. And being around that environment is going to sooner or later make something happen for you from a deal perspective. You might run into a buyer. You might run into the owner of that house and say, look, we really need to sell this house. We're getting to the point where we can't make the payments. Could you list this property for us? Those things happen. But they don't happen if you're working over at the bar or the supermarket. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, also, the other thing I wanted to mention is that you know, like you, that you have certain requirements that you have to have in order to complete a BPO for a company. You have to have the proper E and O insurance and a couple other different things. Just make sure they have all your paperwork lined up. And I don't know, Jesse. Do you know how EXP treats uh, agents doing BPOs? Uh, I have no idea the paperwork compliance, any side of anything. Autumn would be much better to answer that, but I believe it's just like anything else. It's just income. Autumn, do you know how the income comes in on a BPO? I mean, is that what you're asking to Jim, like the actual income from it? The income from it. And I, you know, I know uh, different brokerages treat it differently as far as what kind of paperwork you have to have and the liability and all that stuff. And no matter who your broker is, I mean, I can't speak for EXP. But I can't, and I can speak from my own experience being with like a Keller Williams and those kind of things. Um, in my state, anything real estate oriented has to go through the brokerage. It can't be paid directly to you. Right. So you need to do that. You also need to sit down and have a conversation with your broker on, listen, I'm doing these things. They're like 40, 50 bucks. If you're going to take 10, $20 from me, it really, I can't even cover my gas. Is it cool if I do these and, and you don't really take anything or take a very small percentage? You have to figure out if, you know, if, if, if your brokerage is okay doing it. So, you know, don't just go, uh, 
cowboy and, and start doing a bunch of stuff without, without getting approval. Yeah. I'll say this for the sake of, for the sake of ease, for time, for, for uh, so you can keep it rolling forward this morning. Every state is different. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you're with EXP, cause a lot of us with EXP, uh, you can reach out to me or Jim who do a lot of ARIOs and we can help guide you through it. If you're not with EXP or with another brokerage, check with your brokerage, or we do some pretty cool things that anyway, we'll, we'll loop you in. just reach out, DM one of us, me, Jim, uh, and we can kind of guide you through it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the, I guess the million dollar question now is, you know, knowing what you know about the industry and how long you've been in it and what's going on with the, with the market right now in the pandemic. I mean, what do you suggest for people wanting to get into this side of the business for 2022, 2023? Is it worth pursuing? Which, which we do. So as, as far as the, the timing of getting in, it's not like right now with traditional side of the business where prices are through the roof, there's no inventory. Um, everybody's doing it. Nobody's doing it right now because there's no, there's no business to be had. So in a sense, it's a good time to try to build some skill sets to that when it does start to pop that you have already acquired some skill sets and maybe make some networking connections and those types of things. Um, but until there's actually business, you can't really show anybody what you got unless, you know, unless there's business to be had. So right now, I would say the BPO thing is, is really one of the main things that you can do. And from a from a getting on a client's list as one of their agents. Not that that's a slippery slope. It's just sometimes there's one, they have their list closed. Most of my clients currently are not bringing any new agents on. And if anything, they're cutting agents out because there's just no business to be had. Uh, so right now you may not be able to sign up for a tremendous amount of, uh, of different banks and asset management companies to do this with. I know people who have tried to sign up with, with Fannie Mae in the past or HUD or those kind of things. And they've just been on a list for years and have never, you know, never gotten a phone call. Um, but you can, you know, you can look up bank owned properties. Um, you can look up all the different banks who may have foreclosure divisions. You could start making some inroads there. I just don't necessarily think that's a great use of your time. I think the best use of your time right now is one, doing some BPO work. If you don't know how to do it, try to find someone who can who can give you some help, who's a little bit experienced in this area. If you could, try to find a mentor in the REO industry, somebody who knows the ropes, someone like yourself, someone like Jesse, just a- anybody that really knows the ins and outs of the agent side of the business. Um, you would tend to not want to ask someone in your local market. So if you ask the dude down the block, to help you with REO because you want to take his business, probably not a good idea. And he's probably not going to help you. He or she is not going to help you. Um, what I did originally, I started reaching out to people in other states. I was at KW and I was like, okay, this is supposed to be like family in this place. Maybe I could reach out to another KW person who's not in my markets. Maybe they would be willing to give me some insight. I didn't have a lot of luck with it, but I still think it's a great idea. And, you know, maybe, you know, someone who's in another, another market who you do a lot of retail and they do a lot of REO and they may be willing to share some, some insider secrets so you can help them. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a give and take thing. You know, we're, we're now in a culture where people are understanding you got to give without expectation. And that really tends to, to get you some things down the road. 
But at the same time, a mutual giving and, and, and taking is also a great thing. Yeah, you know, again, going back to the investor side of it too, like, um, you know, if uh, if someone came to you and said, "Hey, I want to, I want to uh, maybe do an open house for your property or show some of your properties that you're getting um, in- inquiries on that you don't have time to go show," that agent can go do that for you. I'm assuming and you'd be okay with that, and and they get a little bit more insight and access to that world a little bit. Correct, and and I do that a lot of times with different agents. You know, the one last thing I'd like to say in regards to that is. From the retail side of things, you have no control over what commission they pay you. People think me doing the volume I do on REO, I make a ton of money. I'm making 3% on all these deals. I'm lucky a lot of times if I'm even making 2%. Honestly, a lot of my listings, I get 1.5% because they take fees off of it and that kind of stuff. The only way to really make great money in this business is to do volume. But that said, if you're a retail person and you understand this, this is something I dropped the ball on for years because I was just too busy. You need to leverage the buy side of your deals. You might be getting one and a half, two percent on the list side, but typically they're paying the buyer agent two and a half percent. So if you can, if you can bring buyers into that side of the deal and leverage that, either with agents in your own office, we can do dual agency in my state. I know that's not allowed in certain states, but if you can work that into the business, now you have some leverage, and make sure you're capitalizing on those listings to bring in retail business. Yeah, it's really good. Jim, Jim, we, we got like one minute. So can I just tee up one thing and then you guys want to pull it all together, however you want to do it. Dale, I, I mean, Dale's been my buddy for like, God, we're going on probably 15 years now. So is Jim. So is probably Theodis. A lot of the original Lisa Kelly, some of our original REO crew. Um, I would love to have you back on again, like, and talk a little REO, but also Dale has, Dale's uh, group is Realty 365. And he does this really cool, all encompassing, like coaching, mentorship, just your perspective on life and real estate is pretty cool. Can we have you, you back on again to talk mindset and just kind of weave into some other things that work into all aspects of your life? 100%. I, I'm a firm believer in your business is not your whole life. You have to encompass in, in your world, your, your balance, being, body, and business. It's everything. It's four key areas of your life. If you don't have those things in tune, things are going to fall apart. This from a guy who sold 2,400 REOs, in case you missed that at the beginning of this, this call. How cool <laughs> is that? All right, Jim, how do you want to wrap this up? I, I think we covered all the bases for now. I mean, I'd love to have you back, Dale. I, I, I think this was amazing. Um, really good insight into uh, into this business. And I really appreciate you being here. And I uh, can't wait to do it again. Thank you. And listen, I appreciate the opportunity. I'd love to be back as much as you need me. Uh, anybody on here, if you need anything, please feel free to reach out. I'll do what I can to help you out. Uh, give you as much insight as I can. If you're in my market, eh, I may help you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye, everybody. All right. Thanks, man. See ya. If you'd like more information or to get connected to the Agent Power Huddle, join our free Facebook group. This call was designed for the agents in our EXP organization, but open to any agent from any brokerage. If you're a guest and you're interested in learning more about EXP or our specific resources within the Agent Collective, reach out to the person who invited you to this call to get more info. Produced by the Agent Collective Media Network.